MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, July 14th, 2020. Today, New York City reaches a milestone with no reported coronavirus deaths as Florida and many other states are reporting far more cases than New York did at the height of their outbreak. Washington plans to announce the retirement of the Redskins franchise name. Thousands of mail voting ballots were rejected for arriving late. Judge Jackson issues a minute order to obtain a copy of Trump's executive order commuting Roger Stone's sentence by tomorrow. The political battle to open schools, and Trump continues to defend the commutation of Roger Stone. I'm your host, A.G. All right, everybody, big show. Uh, I will be speaking to a former DOJ spokesman about the Stone commutation weirdness that's going on. He's my first go-to, Matthew Miller, whenever I have a DOJ question because he was their public affairs spokesperson, director of public affairs, office of public affairs. And uh, I wanted to ask him about the pardon office and what is going on with the rules and where they circumvented and what's happening with the judge ordering to get a copy of, of the commuted sentence executive order, et cetera, et cetera. It's all very interesting and odd and strange. And then we Occam's razor it at the end. So we have a, a nice we put a nice bow on it for you. Um, then there's also a lot of movement today surrounding decisions made based on spikes in coronavirus cases, and we'll be discussing those as well as lawsuits filed to block the deportation of international students that don't attend in-person classes in the fall. Uh, we have a lot to get to, so let's just uh, kick it off and start with a coronavirus update for the Hot Notes. Hot Notes. First up. Uh, I hope you all saw the Dana Bash interview of Betsy DeVos on CNN this weekend. If not, Google that ish and watch it. Top-notch interviewing skills. She would not let her off the hook. Um, while the Trump administration continues its full-court press on schools to reopen, they sent Betsy DeVos out to defend the indefensible. Um, either that or the education secretary, secretary did not do her homework, or she didn't expect a 20-minute interview with only three minutes of talking points that she had to repeat over and over. Dana Bash continuously pressed her on basic shit about students, teachers, parents' safety from the virus and whether schools should closely follow the CDC guidelines. Because the CDC is saying, don't open if you're in a hot spot, uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and although the interview, like I said, it lasted more than 20 minutes, it was clear she only had these three talking points in her, you know, in her arsenal. And so she just kept hammering on them. Everything that Dana asked her, she would just would pivot back to this. We will we want the schools to open. We, we need to get kids back in school. Bash uh, asked DeVos multiple times if the school should follow the CDC guidelines, and the secretary answered her using the word flexible several times while describing the health recommendations. The CDC guidelines are meant to be flexible, meant to be applied as appropriate to the situation. The secretary's focus was on the single message that schools need to reopen. Uh, But other than threatening to defund schools that refuse, she provided no answers for how they might deal with a possible outbreak and place that responsibility on the institutions themselves. So basically, uh, you know, all schools need to reopen. So Dana's like, yeah, but the CDC says in some cases you probably shouldn't, and why would you defund them? They need that money to provide, you know, lunches, et cetera, for online learning at home as kids who were food insecure. A- and she just kept saying, we have to get kids back to school. 
and and you know there might be hot spots but you know we know now we know better and we can take care of those and and dana would say how how if there was an outbreak in a school would you take care of it and she just kept saying we just need to get kids back in school she here's a quote the key is kids have to get back to school and we know there's going to be hot spots and those need to be dealt with on a case-by-case basis but the rule should be that kids go back to school this fall they have been missing months of learning Uh, when devos tried to minimize the possibility that children will spread the virus uh, dana bash used two examples and I love her for this, just pulled scientific fucking examples and said, the concern is real. She mentioned a Missouri summer camp that was forced to close after 82 campers and staff tested positive. And she also cited a report from Texas where 1,300 children and employees in child care facilities have tested positive. She also, Dana Bash, also reminded the secretary that the CDC itself says the grouping of children puts everyone at risk. Uh, she's here here let me quote dana here she says here's what the cdc guidelines say if children meet in groups it can put everyone at risk children can pass the virus on to others who have an increased risk of severe illness from covid19 that's your own federal government's guidelines and she noted that the priority should be for the you know devos just said well the priority we, our goal is to get you know kids back in school that was her only talking point Um, She said there's going to be the exception to the rule, but the rule should be kids go back to school this fall. And where there are little flare-ups or hotspots, she said, little flare-ups or hotspots that can be dealt with on a school-by-school or case-by-case basis. And and then Dana tried to pin DeVos down, saying, so I want to be clear from you. As Secretary of Education, should schools in the United States follow the CDC recommendations or not? And she ducked the question saying uh, that the head of the CDC refers to the guidelines as recommendations. They're flexible. You can do it if you want. It's, it's not, you don't, we're not forcing anyone. And so she asked again, what I want to know is if the federal government is all on the same page as the Secretary of Education, should schools follow the guidelines put out by the CDC? And DeVos said, yes, yes, the government does agree. But then she spun it around and talked about reopening schools and not whether the CDC guidelines should be followed. She said, the federal government's very much on the same page, she said. Kids need to get back to school. They need to get back in the classroom. Family needs, families need for kids to get back in the classroom. And it can be done safely. Yeah, that's because the American working stock, as the Trump White House calls us, the working class, needs their kids to be back in school so they can go back to their jobs to keep you know, making rich people richer. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi came on uh, Dana Bash's show after DeVos and called what DeVos said appalling. She said, quote, I think what we've heard from the secretary was malfeasance and dereliction of duty. This is appalling. The president and his administration are messing with the health health of our children. Um, But some states and and governors are are not deterred. Gavin Newsom, uh, governor of California, announced one of the most sweeping rollbacks of any state's reopening plans, saying Monday he would move to close indoor operations statewide for restaurants, wineries, movie theaters, zoos, and card rooms and bars. They would all be forced to close. Uh, And the governor said that in at least 30 of the hardest-hit counties, businesses would be forced to close indoor operations for fitness centers, places of worship, non-critical offices, hair salons, barbershops, malls, etc. Roughly 80% of the state's population lives in the affected counties. Um... California was averaging more than 8,000 cases a new day, uh, new cases a day as of Sunday. That's more than double what it was a month ago. The state has seen 331,000 cases, the second highest tally in the nation, and more than 7,000 deaths, according to the New York Times. Uh, Mr. Newsom, Gavin Newsom, said, uh, we're going back into modification mode 
of our original stay-at-home order. This continues to be a deadly disease. I don't personally understand why we reopened anything. Uh, we hadn't flattened the curve <laughs> when, we, when we reopened. Uh, Mr. Newsom emphasized that state officials have repeatedly said the state's reopening process would be more akin to a dimmer switch than an on or off switch. And in neighboring Oregon, Kate Brown, their governor, said Monday she would ban indoor gatherings of more than 10 people for things like birthday parties, potlucks, book clubs, and dinner gatherings. She said the new ban would not apply to the operations of businesses of churches. Okay. Uh, Mr. Newsom made the announcement after California's two largest public school districts said Monday, and this is, goes back to the DeVos story, uh, Monday, the instruction will be remote learning only in the fall, in August, citing concerns uh, that the increasing number of cases in those areas uh, posed a dire risk for students and teachers and faculty and the community. That's the Los Angeles and San Diego Unified School Districts, which together enroll almost a, a million students, the largest in the country um, so far, to abandon plans for even a partial physical return to classrooms when they open in August. So, you know, some places are like, come in two days a week, home learning three days a week, uh, California, San Diego and LA Unified. Nope, all remote learning. And more than a third of California's cases are in Los Angeles County, and San Diego County has had 18 community outbreaks over the past week. That's more than the double of the state's acceptable threshold. And at the White House, Mr. Trump denounced the decision in Los Angeles and arguing school should resume because children want to go back to school. We need to go back to school. School should be opened, he said. You're losing a lot of lives by keeping things closed. That's their propaganda. They're saying more people die when we protect ourselves from this virus. Though it was not clear what he meant, because, you know, public health experts say the virus spreads quickly in poorly ventilated closed areas, which is an American school. Um, we know what he meant. Um, he said this before. He talks about uh, child abuse increases and <clears throat> suicide increases and alcoholism and drug use increases when, we're sh when we can't work and stay home. Um, none of which is real. The recommended, I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't an increase in those things, but for people to say that it's more than if we would just allowed coronavirus to sweep over our towns, uh, there would be more deaths by from that is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I definitely understand. Trust me, I understand the uh, uh, increase in abuse during lockdown. Um, and, you know, the, it's it's really weighing on all of us mental mental health wise. Uh, and it, But instead of increasing access to mental health, he just sends us all back to work to be exposed to the virus and back to school. The recommendations from the president and Mrs. DeVos, Ms. DeVos, have been disputed by many public health officials and teachers. On Friday, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Federation of Teachers, the National Education Association, and the AASA, um, the School Superintendents Association, issued a statement saying reopening schools should be based on evidence, not politics. But Trump has now begun publicly throwing his health experts under the bus. As Jordan discussed yesterday, um, news stuff out today, he's pushing a ludicrous theory that doctors are purposefully lying about coronavirus because they want to harm his chances of re-election later this year. Early Monday, Trump retweeted the conservative conspiracy theorist and former game show host Chuck Woolery uh, as he dismissed medical experts as politically motivated liars. If you have a few moments, go torment Woolery on Twitter and then get the block. He's, he's an easy block. It's a good feeling. He upsets easily. The incendiary tweet read, quote, The most outrageous lies are the ones about COVID-19. Everyone is lying. The CDC, the media, Democrats, doctors. <laughs> Not all but most that, that we are told to trust. I think it's all about the election and keeping the economy from coming back. 
Yeah, because that's what scientists, doctors, teachers, kids, people, parents want. They 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 want to lie uh, where we should be trusting game show hosts and and reality show hosts because they don't want the economy to come back. What the fuck? That is the dumbest argument I've ever heard in my whole life for this wacko conspiracy theory. Trump retweeted it. Neither Woolery or Trump explained exactly what aspect of the raging pandemic doctors are supposedly lying about, nor did they provide any evidence to back up the vague, unproven claim. Last week, the U.S. repeatedly broke its own daily record for new COVID-19 cases, and the nation's death toll is now more than 135,000. And from the New York Times, the coronavirus pandemic stripped an estimated 5.4 million Americans of their health insurance between February and May. 5.4 million. A stretch in which most adults became uninsured because of job loss. Um, uh, that, you know, that's a massive, massive problem. That's according to a new study. Uh, as Cheryl Gay Stolberg reports, the study, to be released Tuesday by the nonpartisan consumer advocacy, advocacy group Families USA, found the estimated increase of, in uninsured laid-off workers is over th- a three-month period was nearly 40% higher than the highest previous increase, which occurred during the recession of 2008 and 2009. In that period, 3.9 million adults lost their insurance during the whole thing. And now we have 5.4 million just now in the last few months. Um, Stan Dorn, who directs the group's National Center for Coverage and Innovation, was uh, an author of the study. He said, we knew these numbers would be big. This is the worst economic shutdown since World War II. It dwarfs the Great Recession. So it's not surprising that we would see the worst increase in the uninsured. The findings are certain to fuel the debate in Congress over the next round of virus relief. Uh, and the fact that, that Trump is, is arguing in court to defund the uh, ACA, uh, to gut the Affordable Care Act. The study is a state-by-state examination of the effects of the pandemic on laid-off adults younger than 65, the age at which Americans become eligible for Medicare. It found nearly half, 46%, of the coverage losses from the pandemic came in five states, California, Texas, Florida, New York, and North Carolina. So we've got to keep our eye on that as well. People are losing coverage because we tie health coverage to employment in this country, and we need to stop that shit. Um, This just in, the Texas Supreme Court Monday upheld Houston's refusal to allow the state Republican convention to be held in person um, due to the pandemic. The court dismissed an appeal of the state's district judge's denial of a temporary restraining order sought by the state Republican Party. Shortly after the ruling, GOP leaders said they would call a meeting Um, of the party's executive committee to finalize our path forward. Uh, After the Supreme Court's ruling, a judge, a state judge in Harris County, separately denied the party's request for an injunction, allowing the convention to go forward. The state GOP convention had been scheduled to begin Thursday at Houston's downtown convention center and was expected to draw thousands, thousands of participants. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner, a Democrat, said last week that he had directed city lawyers to terminate the contract because he believed the event could be not be held safely. He denied the convention was canceled due to political differences and cited the potential risk to service workers and first responders if the virus spread through the convention. The state party sued a day later, alleging the city illegally breached the contract and accusing Turner of shedding crocodile tears. Quote, the party argues it has the constitutional rights to hold a convention and engage in electoral activities, and this is unquestionably true, the Supreme Court wrote in its opinion, but those rights do not allow it to simply commandeer the use of the center. State District Judge Larry Wyman last week sided with Turner, citing Houston statistics that show major hospitals exceeding their base intensive care capacity due to the influx of patients, COVID-19 patients. 
Texas has set daily records in the number of new uh, COVID-19 cases and deaths. And top officials in Houston have called for the city to lock back down as area hospitals strain to accommodate an onslaught of patients. The Texas Medical Association withdrew its sponsorship of the state GOP convention and asked organized, uh, organizers to cancel in-person gatherings. As the virus has surged throughout the state in June and July, Governor Greg Abbott, the state's top Republican, has refused some business reopenings and broadly required the use of face masks. State GOP Chair James Dickey has insisted that the organizers can hold the event safely. Prior to Turner's move to cancel the convention, Dickey said the party had planned to institute daily temperature scans and provide masks and install hand sanitizer stations. Hmm. Sure. Well, that is the COVID update. We have a lot more news to get to. Stick around. Right after this break, we'll have Jordan Cobert on with uh, news from under the radar. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. If there's anything interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, I recommend trying BetterHelp. BetterHelp wants you to start living happier today. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling, certified, done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. Everybody can use some help. These are very tough times. There's a lot of anxiety. I've sought support for dealing with my PTSD, and I'm a huge believer in seeking help when you need it. And BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide with a broad range of expertise in their counselor network. And, and a lot of these experts might not be like locally available in your area, but now you can just log on to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't have to have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, uh, as with traditional therapy. It's best to stay home right now. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Uh, visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You can get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for news from under the radar. And before, uh, actually, before I hand this, I, I'm with Jordan Coburn, by the way. Hi, Jordan. Oh, oh hello. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> 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 How are oh, you? Call me by surprise there, all prepped and ready to go with my headphones and microphone and recording on. Um, <clears throat> I'm doing great. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm thank glad. You. I'm glad. How are you? I'm I'm okay. You know, it's been an interesting day, but it, it aren't they all? Yes. Um, yes, they are. I have some uh, quick breaking news before Ooh. we get to your first story. Mary Trump and Simon and Schuster have won their lawsuit seeking Ooh. to block publication of too much and never enough how my family created the world's most dangerous man which hits bookshelves tomorrow um God. after uh, imagining the costs and ordeal in trying to stop a book to be released tomorrow judge hal greenwald asks what about the public's right to know the trumps were local in 2001 the leader of the trump family in 2020 is global uh, the judge also cites the trump administration's failed attempt to block john bolton's book uh, quote, Bolton was dealing with information pertaining to national security, not 20-year-old family history. So that book is going forward. They won. Uh, I still don't have any details on whether the gag order has been lifted or not um, from her being able to speak to the media, not from her being able to publish the book. But that is it. And uh, it's all queued up and ready to go on my Audible. So it should be uh, interesting times. Maybe we should do a book club. But yeah, anyway. I'm down. We haven't done a book club in a while. I'd be super down to do that. 
It's good yeah. for me to cool. uh, work the old eyes sometimes, you know? <laughs> and brain. And those book club episodes would be just for patrons. So if you're not a patron, it's only three bucks a month. Or you can sign up to be sponsored by a patron uh, who, ha- you know, we've got a lot of patrons buying sponsorships mm-hmm. for other patrons because a lot of people can't swing it right now. Um, so, you know, just head to dailybeanspod.com to, to get that all set up. It's on the front page. Just scroll down. Um, so what, now Jordan, back in the day, back in the old Moshi wrote days, seems like decades ago, um, you were our intrepid reporter covering the NRA. And so, uh, there's a related story um, with the gun lobby. Can you can you tell us about that? Yes, there is. So there's this guy named Michael B. Williams who is in the Trump administration, and he is now profiting, and as are many of the people in the gun lobby, off of a lifting of a ban on firearm silencers by U.S. manufacturers. So this is a ban that was put in place by the State Department for the purpose of limiting ambush on U.S. troops overseas. So these, this is the sales of the, this equipment to overseas entities. And, and this is, it's, it's another example of Trump and really any corrupt politicians. They do this all over the world, as we know, but they hand off policymaking to their friends that are involved in these lobbies, very deeply involved in these lobbies, and the people that stand to benefit from the rules changing. And so that's exactly what happened. The rule changed, and this guy, Michael B. Williams, he was right at the center of it. He's been lobbying for this for, for years, uh, unsuccessfully, until now. And um, it's, I mean, he's a White House lawyer. He pushed to overturn that prohibition, um, and he was lobbying, you know, administration officials from the inside and trying to put pressure on the State Department, and he did that successfully. So, it's shitty. Um, $250 million a year now is what they're looking at making in sales overseas for companies that Williams has been lifting up, you know, when he speaks about them, um, you know, He's general counsel of the American Suppressor Association, and his connection with all these groups is a very well-established one that he certainly mm. stands to benefit from. And as we know, the NRA is just fucking all up in the asshole of these idiots. So it's a win win for for gun for the gun lobby. Yeah, I really wish NRA would just quietly go bankrupt and shrivel up and die. But but anyway. Um, Thank you for that story, sure. Jordan. Yep. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, here's something interesting. Check this out. An NPR analysis has found that in the primary elections held so far this year, at least 65,000 absentee or mail-in ballots have been rejected because they arrived past the deadline, often through no fault of the voter. While the numbers are relatively small, around 1% in most states, this could prove crucial in a close election. Yeah, I mean, if it's 65,000 absentee ballots, Trump won by 80,000-ish votes in three states, that's right about there. Um, You know, especially this election where where many more voters are expected to cast absentee mail-in ballots because of COVID. Um, Those who use mail-in voting for the first time, especially young black and Latino voters, according to NPR, are more likely to have their ballots rejected because of errors, according to Charles Stewart, a political scientist at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, who studies election administration. That's the sort of thing, quote, that's the sort of thing that makes me wary about what's going to happen in November when we get an even larger influx of people who haven't voted or haven't voted by mail in the past. Um, 
Democrats and voter advocacy groups have filed suits in at least 10 states challenging laws that require mail-in ballots to be received by or before Election Day. They're asking judges to allow ballots to be accepted as long as they're postmarked by Election Day because of difficulties voters might encounter due to the pandemic and delayed mail delivery. Uh, Of course, the Republican Party and election integrity groups are fighting back. They argue that extending the deadline will undermine public confidence in the results, uh, which is their goal, which would be uh, delayed for weeks. They also insist, without evidence, that it will raise the potential for fraud. Uh, In fact, there's evidence to the contrary, but that's a position Trump has taken repeatedly. Uh, And he's just to me, he's just laying the groundwork to be able to call the election rigged when he loses it. Um, That's AG talking, not NPR. Right. Other states are also reporting large numbers of rejected ballots. More than five percent were not counted in Virginia's June primary because they arrived too late. Five percent, y'all. More than one percent of the ballots in Pennsylvania and Nevada were not counted last month for the same reason. And in Wisconsin's chaotic April primary, uh, about 2,700 ballots were rejected for missing the deadline, but the number could have been much higher. About 79,000 ballots were received after Election Day, but within a six-day period that was allowed on an emergency-only basis. If there's not an emergency, you know, going on, that those 79,000 ballots wouldn't have counted. 79,000 in a primary. That's how much Trump won the entire election by. Yeah. Um, Tens of thousands of other ballots were discarded this year for other reasons, most often missing or a mismatched signature. Last week, the League of Women Voters filed a suit in New York State where more than 34,000 absentee ballots, 14% of the total, were rejected in 2018. The group wants voters to have the opportunity to correct any problems before their ballots are just thrown in the garbage. Uh, Democrats and progressive groups are suing to change the rules in Florida, where over 18,000 vote-by-mail and vote-by-mail ballots, that's more than 1.3 percent of the total, were rejected in the state's March primary for a variety of reasons, uh, including missed deadlines. The lawsuits argue that mail-in ballots should have only have should have to only be postmarked and not received by 7 p.m. on Election Day. In the meantime, uh, voters have been left confused, discouraged and disenfranchised. So we have to really, 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 you know, call your registrar and find out when your ballot is due. I think in California, uh, they just they if you're as long as it's postmarked, you're fine. But there's so many states that require those ballots to be received Mm -hmm. by the mail, which Trump is trying to, you know, fuck over the USPS by inserting his own lackeys on their board of directors to maybe potentially purposefully slow down the mail. So these ballots are late getting in, especially Mm -hmm. since many of these ballots are from young black and Latino voters, which is the number one, number one and number two groups that that they're trying to discourage from voting. Mm -hmm. Definitely. There are so many logistical barriers that are incredibly racist and also just disenfranchising across the board, of course, like I said, always disproportionately affecting people of color. But I remember even when I went to go register to vote a few years ago, when I was like 19 years old or something, I got my registration. I had moved, so I re-registered. I got my registration back in the mail like a while later, and it said we couldn't register you to vote because your signature doesn't match the one that you previously had put on a registration in the past like like my first one and then I had to go through I had to like send I forget what the process even was to like verify my signature but it's like I'm fucking 18 years old I don't know what my signature looks like I don't even know how I like my coffee yet like I don't fucking know what I don't know a signature it's it's just so many little things like that 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 are only they only seem to disenfranchise people I really don't see 
this grand scheme of people trying to to vote in ways that are illegal and the thing this is this theory that trump keeps peddling obviously so it's it's um it's just across the board the disenfranchisement is atrocious mm, yeah 100 percent um before I hand this back over to you for a relatively good news story, yeah. although a long time in the making, I just wanted to, this just came across my desk. Uh, top Mueller prosecutor Andrew Weissman is writing a book. Ooh. Um, uh, you know, Trump's tell-all book about her uncle will be released despite the President Trump's, despite President's best attempt to block it. But as if that weren't enough to upset him, another potentially explosive book was announced Monday morning. Um... One of special counsel Robert Mueller's top prosecutors is set to release a book on the two-year investigation into the alleged ties between Russia and Trump's 2016 campaign. The Associated Press reports Andrew Weissman's Where Law Ends Inside the Mueller Investigation will reportedly be published September 29th. Uh, so I guess that's a, a, a almost an October surprise. Damn. So he's been working on that. Yeah, it takes a long time. Uh, he says, I felt it was necessary to record this episode in our history as seen and experienced by the ins by an insider. Um, this is the story of our investigation into how our democracy was attacked by Russia and how those who condoned and ignored that assault undermined our ability to uncover the truth. My obligation as a prosecutor <clears throat> was to follow the facts where they led using all available tools and undeterred uh, by the onslaught of the president's unique powers to undermine our work. So we'll definitely be looking for that book with Weissman, uh, who's up on Twitter now. I've been yeah. retweeting him like a... You know, they really, f the Trump administration really fucked themselves over by constantly labeling these people throughout the Mueller investigation as insider Democrats, because now it's like, it's it's like one of those things where if you tell a kid that they're a piece of shit or like they're bad enough, you know, they're going to start acting poorly. It's almost like you start telling them they're inside, you know, you've, you've already done the work of saying, you've already blew your load, basically saying that they're, <laughs> you know, like against you. So now it's like, well then, yeah, fuck you guys now that i'm out of this stuff i am gonna come out i feel like it's it's this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't well clearly it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't such a corrupt situation but but this this thing that they do with demonizing these people from the get-go it only further pushes them into a space where it's so necessary for them to write these books they're just mm -hmm. it's pointless to try to logically assess and now, it's time for the sports news Yay. with Jordan Coburn with sports. Throwing Yay. it over to you, Jordan. What's the latest in sports? Yes, man, since the Fantasy of Diamond League, it's been a minute since we've illegally used that song on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can't it's believe we never got shut down on that shit. I can't believe so. I Yeah, I, that was actually kind of a really long, that was a... Uh, I don't know. I was like, trying to think of a football term for when you run a long time. I don't know what that's called, though. A long run. Maybe that's just what it is. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Anyways. So, Monday morning. Today. Today's morning. Um, Washington Redskins, the football team, came out and they announced officially that they're going to retire the Redskins name because it's incredibly racist. And it immortalizes a very, very, very racist term and really shitty point in our history where uh, our, I mean, white people were colonizers, were incredibly violent and awful. 
uh, to Native Americans, and they've been capitalizing off of that name, and they've been capitalizing off of that brand, and off of that image, and that logo, and they've been getting slammed increasingly so over the, I mean, just, I, people have been calling for them to change their name forever, but it's been mounting and mounting, and I think now the tides are changing in many ways that they had not before with racial justice issues and justice for native american lives 100 percent is included in that in indigenous people so they're they're changing their name they said they're not removing the name immediately the website still is called redskins.com but they released a press release that said uh on, on the official redskins letterhead that said they're they're working on choosing a new name but until a new name is chosen they're thinking about calling it something generic like washington football club which i think they can do better than that honestly <laughs> like when you like if you get like if you get a puppy and you don't have a name for it you, you like call it buddy or something not like the thing with four legs that pisses indoors you could like come up with a, a better interim <laughs> name i feel but either way it's good news mm. and it's super um i mean long time coming the owner, yes super overdue the owner was a huge asshole about it for a long time and kept dismissing the calls for them to change the name. And so the fact that they're officially changing it now is good news. Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what they come up with. Mm-hmm. I hope they're not edge lords and like pick the the uh, like a uh, like the almost most racist thing they could come up with next. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I hope I hope they just maybe like it's you know just should be you know I don't know. I, you know what? I can't even think of a football team name right now that's not racist. Um, Patriots. That's nice and white. That racism is embodied in the thing itself. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. It's the not... Nationals and the Patriots. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> the mascot itself yeah, how about is the racist. Washington, <laughs> how about the Washington Proud Boys, right? We'll just. Mm. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah. What a, it's like, isn't Washington a relatively liberal state overall? Well, this is D.C. Is it? Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. It's not the state of Washington. It's it's District of Columbia. Yeah, that's true. I guess the Seahawks are, are uh, Washington's team, huh? Wow. I never even thought about that. Seattle. Yeah, they're Seattle. Wow. That is extra, extra fucked up then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Extra fucked up. And did you know this little bit of trivia? Every year on Thanksgiving, the Cowboys play the Redskins. Oh, my God. You didn't know that? This is blowing my mind. I only follow Patriots football because I'm a New Englander, <laughs> like, and my family is and stuff in many ways. So that's, I never had any clue. That's horrible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's terrible. Holy shit. Fuck that team. And it, Fuck that team mascot. And, it, and it's, you can't for one second be like, oh, it's no big deal. It's accidental. But we're going to play the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Right. It's just whatever. Oh, my God. They're so fucking dumb. The people that run these organizations are so dumb. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen on Thanksgiving now, now that it's no longer uh, an old racist trope. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. You know. Right. Well, it'll be Cowboys, Cowboys versus the Washington Football Club. Yeah. Cowboys versus the clubs. Yeah. The FBs. All right. Well, um, <laughs> 17 states in the District of Columbia, uh, speaking of the D.C., are suing to block U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement from implementing a policy requiring international student visa holders to take all or most of their classes in person this fall or risk deportation. 
Uh, according to the legal complaint filed Monday in federal court, Massachusetts, uh, the attorneys general led by Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healy, argue that because uh, of the risks associated with COVID, a blanket approach to holding in-person classes, no matter the current local public health risks, endangers not only students, faculty, and staff, but their household members and the communities more broadly. Yes. Uh, New Jersey is joining the attorneys from Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, D.C., Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, and Wisconsin in the suit. Um, The ICE uh, directive was first announced July 6th, uh, without the required notice and public comment period, by the way, and that's in the suit. The proposed ruling rescinds an exemption issued by ICE's student exchange visitor program on March 13th, 2020, that allowed international students with F1 and M1 visas to remain in the country while taking their classes online, Um, you know, because we're pivoting to online learning in the early weeks of the pandemic. Uh, At the same time, uh, SEVP said the provision would be temporary, uh, but would remain in effect for the duration of the emergency, and that SEVP would monitor the pandemic and adjust the guidance as needed. Uh, ICE has said the proposed policy is intended to maximize flexibility for students to continue their studies while minimizing the risk of transmission of COVID by not admitting students into the country who do not need to be present to attend classes in person. So the United States, number one hotspot in the world, is saying we don't want foreign students to come in uh, and, and, and endanger us uh, by coming here to go to school online. That's that's their actual fucking argument. New Jersey on Monday also submitted with the suit a declaration from Rutgers treasurer Michael Gower, who estimates the school could lose about $200 million or more uh, in this academic year alone if the ICE directive moves forward. Um, International students told Politico last week that the proposed policy change was shocking. The multi-state lawsuit is not the first to push back against this directive because Harvard and MIT uh, and Princeton filed suit last week against the Department of Homeland Security and ICE to halt the federal policy. And, uh, you know, that's sort of what's going on with that. I hope that lawsuit prevails. We shouldn't be deporting people. It just it blows my mind that 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 this administration thinks that it's dangerous for people to come here. It's dangerous for them. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) We we are banned by most countries. We can't go anywhere right now. Everyone's like, no, fuck socialism and fuck Marxism. We don't want to be like Cuba. Those people weren't allowed to leave their country. Well, guess what? You're in it fucking right now. You're not allowed to leave your country because no one will let you go there because our fucking president blew the entire response to this pandemic. So we are now stuck in a dictatorship, banana republic-esque shitstorm, and we aren't allowed to leave. So look around, open a window, fucking read. I just can't believe. Anyway. Yeah. I'm just. I am enjoying this rant very much. I'm just sitting here like, <laughs> yes, so yes, mad. yes, yes, mm. yes. Just so mad. Yeah. It's so fucked up. It is so. Yeah. It is so fucked up. It is like. Mm unfathomable the shit that people have to go through under this administration and yeah our justice yeah, system does not work good. for everybody as it is right now but moments like these when we see all of these challenges coming you know up against these insane orders that his administration continuously is just churning out that are racist and nationalist and xenophobic i just thank god that we have a justice department honestly at all which is a low standard that needs to be raised very much but like 
the things that he's trying to do, if he was able to do them unchecked, it would just immediately tank our country like no other president has before. Yep. And speaking of him tanking the country, um, he had said in a press conference today he's getting rave reviews for what he did with regards to Roger Stone. Stone is now filing an appeal, according to Trump, trying to get a new trial, which he already did and lost uh, twice. And Judge Jackson has issued a minute order today to get the, the commutation document from Trump by tomorrow. Uh, we'll discuss these stories and more after the break. I'll be speaking with former Department of Justice Public Affairs spokesman uh, Matthew Miller about the DOJ pardon office. So uh, stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. If you've been listening to this show, you've heard me talk about my Helix mattress. You've heard Jordan talk about hers. You've heard Joelle and Mandy talk about theirs. Best sleep of my life. Well, Helix has launched a new company called Allform. They've gone beyond the bedroom to revolutionize furniture for the rest of your home. They make beautiful, customizable sofas and chairs delivered directly to you with fast, free shipping. Uh, Allform makes it easy to customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of traditional stores. Uh, Normally, if you want to order a sofa from a traditional store... It could take weeks or even months to arrive, especially if it's custom. And you would need someone to assemble it in your home. And you have to sit there for four hours with a freight company calls you and they come and try to deliver it to you. And a lot of freight companies aren't even doing full in-home delivery. They're just leaving it at the curb. So here I go out trying to pick a couch up. But all form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail. You can assemble it yourself in a few minutes. No tools needed. And with all form, you can pick your fabric, uh, the color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, and the shape to make sure that it's perfect for you and your home. Uh, I picked out a three-seater sofa and customized it in whiskey-colored leather. I would have never been able to have that kind of a couch, but because their stuff is spill-stain and scratch-resistant, it's okay with the pod pets. I got a walnut-like finish and a chaise lounge. It matches perfectly in my house. came in a couple of days. I put it together myself, um, and I I absolutely love it. It's super roomy, modern-looking. Uh, the fact that it was designed just to my specifications is the best. They have gorgeous armchairs and love seats too, all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so there's something for everyone. And you can start small and add on later if you move to a bigger house. Uh, and the best, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, which you will, they will pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No weird fees. They also have a forever warranty. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Welcome back, everybody. So, last Friday, it's story time. Last Friday, during our happy hour live stream, the news broke that Trump was mulling a stone commutation, a commute stone sentence. Uh, I immediately disagreed with everyone who was saying that. I was like, no, that can't, no, that can't be right. Send me the link, send me the link. And then they sent us a link from Reuters saying Trump was thinking about it. And then... Probably within five minutes, the news broke everywhere that it was a done deal. First, I think, from Woodruff Swan at Politico. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. But now there's some weird things going on with this commutation. Uh, Least of all, some of the Department of Justice rules that have to do with pardons and commutations. And joining me today to clear up the confusion is former DOJ Public Affairs Director Matthew Miller. Matt, thanks for uh, giving me a hand with this today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So... As soon as the Judge Jackson minute order dropped, I sent you a, te- a, a text today. I was like, look, you're you're my go-to Department of Justice expert asking you about the pardon office and what could be going on. Can you tell us about that minute order that came down today from Judge Jackson and what you know about the pardon office and this developing story? Sure. So what happened when uh, the White House announced on Friday night that the, the Senate, the, the president had commuted the sentence of uh, Roger Stone, it, it, it wasn't clear what that meant because the sentence that Judge Jackson handed down was was three parts. It was 
Uh, number one, uh, a sentence of 40 months in prison. Uh, number two, two years imprisonment after that. Number three, um, uh, a fine of, I think, around $20,000. And it was clear he wasn't going to go to jail, that the president had commuted that part of the sentence, but it wasn't clear whether the rest of the sentence, the super, most importantly, the supervised release, had also been um, uh, commuted. And so the judge asked the Department of Justice today in, in an order to show the court what the president um, had done so she knew what to do with it. The president's power is absolute here. She can't challenge it, but she needed to know whether she should um, uh, you know, refer him for whether for supervised release or whether that part of the sentence had also been commuted. And in fact, it, in fact, we now know it has been. Okay, because you sent me a document that appears to be a commutation order signed by Trump. Um, ha- has that been submitted to Judge Jackson or was it released by the White House? Like, where did it come from? It, it, it appears that it has been submitted to the judge. The, the um, uh, I don't know if the White House made it available to reporters, but it's on the Justice Department's website on, in, in uh, the, the site for the Office of the Pardon Attorney, which is the office that handles pardons um, and has been submitted to the judge. So um, Roger Stone is now, you know, basically his, his, his entire sentence has been commuted. He has still been convicted. The president did not pardon him. Mm-hmm. So the conviction uh, stands, uh, but all of the the ramifications of, of uh, that conviction have been removed. Uh, okay. Because there's, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of talk on the socials about, you know, bribery, possible bribery, Stone threatening to release information on Trump. And did Stone sort of write his own commutation? And did Trump just have to go along with it? Because McEnany, the press secretary, her statement was weird. And then, um, and yet just, you know, full of a lot of uh, disinformation. Uh, We went over that line by line yesterday. But it just seemed really odd that uh, the way in which this was handled, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me to be the normal route that that presidents take i mean i know pardons and commutations aren't a normal thing but you know what what's the doj office supposed to do with this especially since Barr made a statement that he recommended against it yeah so look this this pardon was both uh, unusual and, and usual in a way it, it, unusual in the fact that most pardons and commutations um uh, the the person who has been uh convicted makes an application to the Office of the Pardon Attorney at DOJ. That office reviews it, makes a recommendation to the Deputy Attorney General. The Deputy Attorney General makes a recommendation to the White House, and the President makes the decision. Um, this, uh, this pardon obviously did not go through that process. DOJ won't even consider um, uh, uh, these pardons in, in most cases until the sentence um, uh, has, has been served. There are some exceptions to that, but in most cases, they, they clearly wouldn't have recommended um, a commutation in this case had it gone through that process. Um, but I said it's 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 usual in another sense in that when you see these types of pardons, these pardons for politically connected people, um, and Trump uh, has issued a number of them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Sheriff Arpaio, Dinesh D'Souza, Scooter Libby, they those those are typically they, those are done in, those have been done in this White White House without any real consultation with the pardon attorney's office, and at times when you've seen abuses of the pardon power in previous administrations, they've circumvented DOJ in in the same fashion. So. This one was usual in that sense, and that whenever you see these sketchy pardons, there's usually a pretty good chance that DOJ was not involved. Yeah, because, I mean, there, you know, there are rules, you know, that you have to be in prison serving your sentence, and you can't be appealing your case. And Trump said, told the press today during a press conference that Stone would be appealing the case, I guess, again. <laughs> um, and so, 
I, you're just saying that he just circumvented all of that to just get this done because it's the DOJ would never have recommended it. Yeah, that's right. Look, um, there are rules and regulations, but ultimately this is the president's authority. All the rules and regulations flow from the president's authority. So the president is within his um, legal and constitutional rights to uh, ignore DOJ's recommendations and, and just circumvent them and not even ask for recommendations. But of course, you know, the American people are free to um, pass judgment on that conduct uh, in the next presidential election as well. Yeah, exactly. And and some folks have uh, some folks with blue check marks have said that this could be overturned. I don't see that there's anything in the Constitution that would allow uh, another president. But like if Joe Biden were elected to overturn a pardon or a commutation, I just don't see that that's uh, uh, allowed. Yeah, just because someone has a blue check mark by their name doesn't mean they're uh, always right. <laughs> and I don't know who said that, but it's not right in this case. Look, the the you know the the pardon is absolute. The commutation is absolute. Mm-hmm. I only know of one occasion when a pardon has been overturned, and it's when uh, President Bush issued a pardon. Did it um, to himself? Uh, no, <laughs> President Bush issued a pardon to to a politically connected donor. There was a scandal. Uh, 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 erupted and they rushed to find out whether the pardon had actually been delivered to him and and man- the president himself managed to retract it mm-hmm. um uh but there's no way any any future president can overturn this this commutation it sounds like trying to unsend an email when you accidentally hit reply all Oops. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened it's, it's a great story if you can look it up it was a white did. house panicking realizing what they had done i did i looked at that because i was trying to figure out you know after that uh, that you had been proposed or posited i was like has anyone ever done this i'm like oh look bush <laughs> <laughs> bush did it to himself you know uh for, for his own pardon um so uh and real quick before i let you go uh, well two things um, Occam's razor. What is the most likely reason for all this confusion? Do you think this is just because Trump wanted it to be done and then everyone has to scramble to sort of make it happen and fit within certain boxes? I mean, that seems to be the issue here, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that, that you know, part of the story is fairly well known. The president, the, you know, Roger Stone wouldn't flip on the president. And because of that, the president rewarded him. And he reward he, he issued this pardon over the advice, apparently, of people in the White House, not because those people are straight and narrow ethical people, but because they have at least decent political sense and can see what a you know, debacle this would be. And, and I suspect that they just, um, you know, as usual with this White House, didn't have their act together and so didn't release the text of, of the pardon on Friday night, which is usually what the White House does. Usually they'll make the text of these commuta- commutations available. Uh, wasn't a part of the commutation. Now, there is something weird that if you look at the document itself, the president has handwritten the date in that it was issued the 10th day of July. Kind of strange. Presidents usually don't do that clerical work. You know, there's, you know, you could, you, you know, it's possible he did it after the fact, Saturday, Sunday, today. Uh, I don't have any reason to think that, and it wouldn't really matter. It's valid no matter when he issues it. But, um, you know, I, I suspect that they just, as usual, the president was, you know, made a decision at the last minute and no one, and wanted to do it on a Friday night to, bury it to the extent you can bury these things and the white house is scrambling to catch up with his decision making yeah he he does that a lot he'll just make a declaration yeah and then take a sharpie to a a, a weather map <laughs> that's just <laughs> right or 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 a commutation if you look at the way it's written yeah. the 10th day of july is written in sharpie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he knowed the commutation <laughs> um, and that second to last thing that uh, that other thing I wanted to ask you about was your your top line reaction to Mueller 
writing an op-ed in the Washington Post, something I never thought I'd see the day. Uh, yet here, I mean, trying to explain to folks that for Mueller to write that letter to Barr last year like he did was uh, huge news. And for him to write an op-ed, I feel like is huge news. Anytime he goes to paper, it's because he is like really, really upset about something. So what, what, when you saw that op-ed, what, you know, what did you think of it? What was your top line reaction? I think he was deeply offended by uh, by the fact of this pardon, um, the things that, that the White House said about the, I keep calling it a pardon, the commutation, the fact of this commutation, the things the White House said about Roger Stone and that he was unfairly um, uh, prosecuted. He, I think that uh, offended um, uh, the special counsel. And then I think the attacks on Mueller's team that the White House issued, which, of course, Trump has been making for months and months, well, years and years at this point, he um, felt the need to to defend them. And I think the interesting question for me is, you know, look, he didn't break a lot of new ground in that op-ed. He said, you know, every all the factual things he said have been in the Mueller report or in previous indictments. Um, but the fact of his speaking out may give license to all of the other former uh, prosecutors in that office, most of whom who are no longer in government, can speak out if they want to, but have followed his lead and kept their silence. And uh, I wonder if some of them will feel empowered to come forward and, and share a little more now that he's he's uh, written this piece. Yeah. And I thought that, too, like after I saw that piece, I was like, well, let's get him back in uh to the Senate or to Congress to to talk more about it, because when he testified last July, the Stone investigation was open and ongoing. You couldn't answer any questions about it. That's not the case anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then, of course, we get Lindsey Graham coming out saying, yeah, absolutely. The Democrats have wanted this for, for a year and a half. I say yes now. I can't figure out what his agenda is for that. Uh, look, I think the the agenda is as bad as the um, uh, the Mueller investigation was for the president as a political issue, um, Lindsey Graham and other Republicans have figured out that it's a better issue for him than the the you know, COVID nineteen pandemic or the associated economic uh, uh, recession. I mean, you if you watch the the Fox programming or track it on Twitter because I can't bear to watch it, um, you'll see they talk a lot about the Mueller investigation still because it's a it's at least better for them than talking about what's going on in the country right now. Look, I, I don't know if Graham will end up calling Mueller. Um, I suspect Mueller will be as circumspect then, if, if he comes now, as he was in his last hearing, and as he was every time he testified as FBI director. But uh, as I said, he wasn't the only person in that office, and there are a lot of, of other people who could be much more forthcoming if they decided this was a good time for them to speak. Mm, yeah, agreed. Well, thank you for coming on and explaining that, <laughs> explaining this to us, because I was I was just really confused about the you know Department of Justice and and their their pardon office uh, counsel there, and and you know if there's rules, I guess they were just always sort of followed out of out of normalcy, and of course that's not what we have anymore. We don't have it on this issue or a host of others, sadly. Yeah, an interesting concept on the whole pivot, too, with Lindsey Graham. Uh, that That's probably exactly what it is, because every time anybody brings up COVID or Russian bounties, they're immediately like, Obamagate, and, and they'll probably just still want to focus on that. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, everybody. Matt Miller, where can, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at, at Matthew A. Miller. All right, everybody. We'll be uh, back after this quick break with the Good News Block with Amanda Reeder. So stay with us. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by our sponsor, CarShield. These days, computer systems in cars are essential. Uh, and for the, you know, everything's electronically controlled, like transmissions, touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors, but you can't fix any of these yourself. It's not like you can just, you know, like my old Ford F-250, where you just get a wrench and a screwdriver and oh voila. So when something breaks now, it could cost you a fortune, and it can affect other systems in your car too, which will cost additional fortunes. But now... You know, it's right now we can't afford these kind of expensive repairs, and dealing with tech-related car stuff is a pain. Um, I personally had to get a display screen fixed recently. It cost me a small fortune, and the repairs took forever. That's why I now have CarShield. I love that CarShield understands the payment flexibility is essential, and they have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs. I love customization. You know how I feel about it. CarShield's affordable protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs on computers, GPS systems, electronics, and more, with no long-term contracts or commitments. CarShield gives you options others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic, for example, and or your dealership to do the work, and CarShield will take care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while you're yours is being fixed. Not everyone does that, but CarShield does, and they've helped over 1 million customers. So drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands in covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000, mention code DAILYBEANS, or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's carshield.com, use code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. And joining me today for the good news is Mandy Reeder. Hello. Hello. I haven't talked to you, I feel like, in forever, but it's probably been like seven minutes. How are you? I'm <laughs> good. It is so freaking hot in San Diego today. And oh, I am, my Canadian bones are, are creaking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sweaty. But we've just shut mm-hmm. everything down. So, so much mm-hmm. for the heat you know, getting rid of the coronavirus. That was... I know. Yeah. And also there's been a weird, like, acrid, smoky smell in San Diego for a lot of today because of that naval ship on fire uh, out in the mm-hmm. bay. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. it's like you're inside of your apartment with, like, tons of fans blowing and the air conditioning rattling. In our case, we have an older air conditioner. So it's, like, kind of noisy, full of white noise. And you go outside to get a moment of fresh air and you smell, like, burning metal. So it's a fun time. <laughs> 2020 is a fun time. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I'm so glad that nobody was uh, like seriously injured uh, in that fire. Um, Absolutely, it's me too. It's so rare for there to be a, a fire on a on a navy boat. That um, I mean, you know, when I was in the navy, we all took fire safety and precautions. But like that was the number one thing that you made sure of was that there wasn't a fire on the boat. So uh, I'm interested to see more about that story as it as it unfolds about what happened because so much shit has just gone wrong. Since since Trump's been in office, everything's gone to shit since Dick Clark died, I tell you. And I can't, you know, like the, the Navy ship running into another, like colliding with another ship. And like, I'm like, what's going on with with my Navy? We were always just so perfect and error free. And now it's just I don't know what's going on, but maybe. Well, I'll... it's almost like the commander in chief isn't a very good commander. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, perhaps. But you know what's a, a it's kind of crazy about this uh, ship on fire in the in the bay as well is that my hometown was decimated in 1917 by a ship that was on fire in our harbor um, because uh, it was full of explosives because this was during World War One 
And so people all like gathered around uh, the waterfront to watch the ship on fire. And then it exploded and tons of people died and half the city was wiped out. <laughs> so a ship oh being on fire. God. Yeah, it was actually the largest man-made explosion that happened in human history before the Hiroshima bomb in Japan. And it happened in Canada, in Halifax, Nova Scotia in 1917. And it was an accident. Um, so yeah, the Halifax explosion is super fascinating. So for me to see a boat on fire, like a big ship like that, when they say that there's things that can explode on board, I'm like, my, <laughs> my, like, all my senses are tingling. I'm like, oh God. Um, my like, uh, uh, relatives of mine, um, older relatives of mine, like great, great aunts and stuff have scars in their face because they had been, uh, they were watching the fire facing the water in their homes when the explosion happened. So like shards of glass, came, like got, you know, went into their face. Um, oh. So, yeah. Anyways, really crazy coincidence. But it's I've been thinking about that today. And if you if you're a history nerd, check out the Halifax mm. explosion. It's really interesting. Really grim, but really interesting. <laughs> Probably part of your fear of dying at sea. Indeed. Just one more to add to my sea death fears. <laughs> sea deaths. Yeah, but the Bonham Richard is a nuclear-powered boat, and so I don't mm. know, like, you know, um, how that's going, what they're doing to protect the reactor. It's, uh, the reactors, there's usually multiple reactors. I know the... The Enterprise had eight nuclear reactors on there, um, usually Westinghouse and GE. I can't say much more about them. It's all classified information. It's all classified information. But uh, <laughs> the, the Bonham Richard, the amphibious assault ship, it is a nuclear-powered boat. So, And I know people are going to give me shit for calling them boats, but that's what we did in the Navy. What boat are you on? Your boat? Talking about your boat because it's just ironic. But um, <laughs> I know they're ships. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's worrisome. It's very worrisome. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that, but we do have a lot of good news today from <laughs> yes. our listeners. That's an, could you like my segue right there? Da, 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 da. From nuclear accidents to the good news. It's good <laughs> news time. Hey, um, why don't you kick it off today? AG? You're full of energy. <laughs> I'm on my fourth shot of espresso. <laughs> That's probably what it is. Um, without food. You do that? You never do that? You just wake up and just drink coffee all day and, and not have food? And then sometime around 4 o'clock, which is, uh, it's pretty close to 4 o'clock. Sometimes around 4 o'clock, I'm like, why is my blood sugar dropping? What's happening to me? I'm like, oh, I've only had caffeine and no food. That's why. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, if you, we need more good news stories. Send them in. Uh, we can still take them. I think on our pinned tweet, right at Daily Beans Pod on Twitter, uh, you can do it there, or you can go to our website, dailybeanspod.com, and submit there through the contact page. You can just pull it from the drop-down menu. You can also submit your quarantine confessions. We're going to be recording those on Thursday for release Friday for patrons and Saturday for the public. And uh, if you want to sponsor a patron, you can do it there on that same dailybeanspod.com. And I think we have uh, 117 uh, 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 sponsored uh, uh, sponsorships so far that people have uh, people have donated, which is rad. And but we still have 150 on the waiting list, so plenty of folks waiting to be sponsored. So you make someone's day if you did that. Uh, 
Also, kind of a funny detail. I think maybe it's something to do with people's fatigue right now in this specific moment. But the number of confessions we get compared to the number of good news we get, it kind of ebbs and flows. But I've seen such a higher percentage of confessions for the last week and a much lower percentage of good news stories. So that might speak to where we are as a country right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, we should uh, do some sort of a chart. You know, we should just like... We could study that. We could get a grant. Let's 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 write one. Maybe we could uh, look back at this moment in time and track everyone's mood through the confessions that they're that they're sending in. <laughs> mm. Yes, mood stats. Uh, any, anyways, I let let me kick this off here. We yeah. have uh, our first bit of good news from anonymous pronouns she her. Uh, good news comes in two parts here. Number one, the company I work for helps people implement programs to monitor customer and employee experiences like customer satisfaction, brand awareness. And as I say brand awareness, a giant McAfee window pops up telling me that I need virus scan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it blocked my view of the reading. Um she says, but the software developers we work with have come up with some great ways to retool the same systems we use for customer and market research to do COVID contact tracing. I just got assigned my first contact tracing project as part of a special team. I get to help one of the hardest hit states in the United States automate some of their contact tracing operations and make case tracking and investigations easier uh, at a large scale for call center employees and state and local governments. Most of the work I do is very branding and marketing oriented so this opportunity to work toward a greater the greater good is both unexpected and a huge honor to be part of plus i get to s an inside peek at epidemiology at local and state levels my inner nerd is so excited science is sexy hell yeah yes, it is and number two piece of good news from anonymous she her my husband is a public middle school teacher oh thank him for us when you get a chance uh his district is in the fr is the first in our blood red state of Indiana, former home of Mike Pence, the absolute fuckwad, may he never return, <laughs> to decide to not hold in-person classes and move 100% virtual. While this is a, you know, while this is a fraught decision because the majority of kids in the district are on free or reduced lunches and less likely to have internet access, in-person classes are not worth the cost of even one child's life. It's going to be a tough semester again this fall. We are looking forward to ways to help support his students who may be food insecure, but I'm very glad the school district took the safety of students and staff seriously when making this decision. Thank you for all you do. You make the news bearable. Well, thank you for all y'all are doing. We got a contact tracer now and a middle school teacher. Yeah. Thank you guys. Man. Fucking awesome. Yeah. I, speaking of schools and schools deciding to go virtual, I, I've just, I was watching an interview with Betsy DeVos earlier and I'm so angry. I mean, this is the perfect storm for her, but this is the good news segment, so we won't get into it, but thank you. Yeah. Thank we you. covered it earlier in the show. Yeah. We covered it earlier. Exactly. Show, so. Ugh. Well, okay. That, that interview was, Dana Bash was badass in that interview. She is, yes, yeah, we she should is. stick to the good news. Absolutely. Good news only. No bad news here. No Betsy DeVos in my good news <laughs> block. Um, <laughs> she's just like skinny um, Umbridge from Harry Potter. You know what I mean? She's just like oh, Dolores Umbridge. Um, okay, good news from Anonymous. Uh, I'm 66 as my, my husband is 70. Uh, both of us have health situations that require serious isolation from this plague. We live in a rural community, almost three hours outside of Seattle, and stocking up on groceries is a huge challenge. Oh, uh, why did my Hold on. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to restart that. Um, sweet. Okay. Uh, I don't know why that happened. 
From Anonymous, okay, uh, I am 66 and my husband is 70. Both of us have health situations that require serious isolation from this plague. We live in a rural community almost three hours outside of Seattle, and stocking up on groceries safely can be a huge challenge. We have five daughters. Wow, five daughters. Nice. Nice. All close in age, I wonder. I grew up with uh, a lot of (laughs) multiple teenage girls in one house, and that's a time. Let me tell you. Uh, It's a a lot lot of estrogen estrogen in one house. I wonder if her if her uh, husband has like a like a boy cat or something just to have a little you know a little more testosterone in the house. Just like that's mm-hmm. that's what happened with uh, with my dad. And there are only three other girls in the house, three other women in the house. And uh, he's like, I'm getting a boy dog. You guys, I can't, I can't be the only guy here anymore. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean that makes perfect sense because Joelle and I have a boy dog, and he's perfect for us. And some gay guy friends of ours, a couple, um, have a little girl dog. So I think it helps to balance it out a little bit. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, it, it is truly chaotic having having grown up uh, with. I live. I had two full sisters, who I lived with, and then several half sisters who didn't live with us. But it's a lot of girls. I digress. Back back to the good news. We have five daughters all living in Seattle, a wonderful city of whom we are very proud. And here's an example of why. First of all, this is so cute that you're writing in to talk about how proud you are of your kids. Uh, you guys seem like great parents. About six, week ago, six weeks ago, we got a call from our 27-year-old offering to do a Costco run for us. I tried to talk her out of it because of the distance and because we usually shop at Costco like a quartermaster supplying the troops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she insisted. That weekend, she and our 32-year-old Backed into our driveway and and masks on delivered a huge carload of supplies. It took me three hours to disinfect and put them all away. We were so grateful that they cared enough to make a six-hour round trip that included a not-so-cheap ferry ride as well. In a glorious case of instant karma, I was able to repay their thoughtfulness immediately. At the insistence of my brother, a fire chief, I have a pretty good emergency pantry in the garage. It includes N95 masks and containers of disinfectant wipes, which I was able to share with my girls. Not only did it make me feel good to be able to give them something that, uh, as they told us, was like gold in Seattle, but in another karmic situation, in this case, karma being a bitch, (laughs) I had the enormous satisfaction of paying them back for years of them making fun of mom's crazy survivalist horde. <laughs> this is like, this is like part good news, part confession. <laughs> I'm enjoying that. Uh, I know. I as know, I smugly good, placed good. the masks and wipes at a socially distant six feet, I got to utter the single most satisfying sentence in the English language. I told you so. Uh, Also, to all those who like to criticize the younger generation, let me assure you that not all millennials are self-centered and self-absorbed. Well, thank you. I'd like to take this opportunity to publicly thank my two wonderful daughters, Sinead and Abilene. We are really proud of you. That's so nice. Yeah, they sound both Irish, possibly, or Sinead is Scottish or Irish. I'm not sure. Um, All right. Uh, Next up, uh, you got this one? Yeah, I got this one. This one's from MK in ABQ. I'm assuming that's Albuquerque. Uh, pronouns she, her. I recently received and installed my my Biden sign in my front yard, coupled with a love one another, Ephesians 432 sign. Uh, these are unusual in my somewhat red-leaning neighborhood. The Biden sign is obvious, but the Bible quote is intended to stir up questions. Uh, while I'm not highly religious, I'm a person of faith. I've never found a Bible that had an asterisk noting love one another only applies to people who look, love, or pray as I do. 
I am willing to see if my fundamentalist Christian neighbor comments on either sign so I can ask her if her Bible reads differently. <laughs> also, perhaps a here's your sign theme for an un- upcoming happy hour would be fun. Thanks, uh, as always, for keeping me somewhat sane in these crazy times. <laughs> I love that. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting I, it, how many times I've asked someone if they read their Bible differently. Um, if I had a nickel then I would not fit through the eye of a needle because I would be too rich and I wouldn't be in the heaven <laughs> or something. Um, but anyway, great. Ephesians 432. I love it. I love it so much. And and thanks for doing that. That's brave. I'm I'm always like, you know, I put a I put a you know no bush on my car a, a long time ago and my car got fucked with. Um and so it's it's always it's you're always taking a little bit of a risk when you put out a political sign. Um like that so it's i think it's a good call to put the bible quote next to it because maybe people will think twice like oh like i'm gonna i'm gonna rip up that biden sign oh wait god says love one another okay i won't (laughs) (laughs) appeal to their sense of humanity (laughs) like a reminder Mm -hmm. yeah like i've got you know i could have like a fuck the police sticker on my car but also a u.s navy veteran sticker on my car so maybe they're like oh she's a veteran it's cool uh yes um these things make no sense but alas um okay from the next one's from anonymous she her i have had a hard time figuring out how i can best be an activist lately i think that's true for a lot of people um i can't protest because i'm a primary caregiver for my dad so i've been throwing money at local bail funds and other funds i switched my monthly contribution to cal cunningham for senate when warren dropped out I'm always looking to do more, though. And I'm a big believer in tidying one's own corner of the universe. Okay, I really like that saying a lot. I'm going to use that from now on. Mm -hmm. Tidying one's own corner of the universe. That is very self-explanatory. So I thought, what can I do in my corner? And a big, ugly thing in my corner is my alma mater, Washington and Lee University. It is literally the home of the statue that sits on top of Robert E. Lee's crypt, which AG mentioned yesterday. That must have been a couple days ago. Uh, He was president of the university after the Civil War, and his presidency has long been a tool propping up the agenda of the lost cause. I recently joined a rapidly growing group of alums who are calling for the school's name to be changed. We might actually get it done this time. The school's motto is non incautus futuri. Oh, please let Jordan butcher this one. Sorry, it was me. (laughs) Which means not unmindful of the future. Uh, I can only hope that the university president and the board takes this motto to heart and implements this long needed change. It's a small step, but it's only the beginning of ushering in a lot more that needs to happen at Washington and Lee. I hope we can see this through and build on the momentum from there. Sweet. Love that. These things are important. You know, I mean, I am, <laughs> I've, I've, Joelle and I have spent like the last three days binge watching a six part PBS documentary on the history of, uh, black people in America. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like re-riled up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, all of these things matter. None of these things, like, like all of these little things matter, you know, changing the names of schools and changing the names of sports teams and stuff. Like the big stuff matters, the small stuff matters too. So keep going. All right. Well, excellent. And more changes, more changes to come. We do have one more good news story. This is from Anonymous. 
pronoun they them. Uh, I'm not even sure if this is a confession or good news or bad news. I guess it's all three. Here's the story. I'm a funeral director in New York State. We got hit relatively hard with COVID-19 deaths in March, April, and May. To be frank, I was burned out before all this as a funeral as funeral directors are on call 24-7 and regularly work upwards of 60 hours per week on a very unpredict- unpredictable schedule. Uh, I'm so, I, I'm so familiar with that, not personally, but a really good friend of mine's husband is a funeral director, and that that is absolutely the case. Um, to go on, they them says, needless to say, that did not change with COVID. While everyone else was enjoy, enjoying or abhorring their home quarantine, I was embalming the victims of this pandemic and trying to figure out how to coach their families through grief and loss when they weren't able to say goodbye to their loved one or have a funeral. It was rough. I think our whole industry will be forever changed by this. The good news is that we haven't had a COVID death in over a month at our funeral home, but because most of the deaths initially were in nursing homes where the patients probably didn't have much time left anyways, we're now slower than we've ever been. All the folks that probably would have died this summer already died in the spring. That's really grim to think about, and both fluctuations have been huge challenges to us and the families we serve. But here's the confession part. Now that we've slowed down and I'm working... Uh, what most people would consider a normal number of hours per week. I'm finally enjoying some goddamn downtime. Good for you. I got Animal Crossing. F- <laughs> I got Animal Crossing for my birthday last week, and although I feel like I'm behind the trend, it's perfect timing because the summer heat is perfect for staying inside and playing video games. My yard looks great. My house is mostly clean, and I'm having way too much fun customizing Aww. the wallpaper in my little house and diving for sea creatures. Uh, I'm still a little jealous of all the folks that got to stay home despite being thankful I had a job and could help some of these people in some way. I'm trying to determine if this whole experience has solidified my dedication uh, to this sacred profession or will end up being the push I need to walk away from it and focus on my life and my family. Time will tell, as I don't believe we've seen the end of this. New York is in great shape now, and thanks to most folks wearing their masks and the guidance of a governor who, while imperfect, is just the right person for the job right now. I hope the trend continues, and I hope the other states wake up and take a cue from our mistakes and successes. Thanks for bringing us the news each day and making it a little more palatable than other news outlets. You are welcome, and thank you for all your work. That has to be really, really tough. And and I know that uh, yesterday um, was a, a landmark day in New York. They, for the first time since the pandemic, announced they've had zero deaths. Uh, and so I'm hoping that... Uh, that continues, you know, I mean, obviously, but I'm also hoping like, like, like they said that the rest of the states, especially um, the four right now that are being hardest hit, uh, Texas, Arizona, California, and Florida can take a cue. I just don't, I just, it it baffles me that Florida would close Disney World at 3000, you know, um, cases, of of covid in the united states and they reopen at three million i just and you know i don't get it they're seeing over fifteen thousand new cases a day now and and that's more than new york was seeing at the height of their outbreak it's just i just don't understand what desantis is doing doug ducey who's the governor of arizona has got the lowest uh approval rating in the universe of the country lower than the president lower than any other governor because of what's happening there um California's got, you know, getting close to 10,000 deaths per day. Um, we just closed all of our schools uh, for the rest of the year, online only for, for August or for uh, Los Angeles and San Diego. And, uh, you know, as we reported earlier in the show, everything is now closed again because people 
people wrecked it for everybody else, you know? It's, um, I wish we could just all get our shit together and care about one another for a minute, you know, or two months, uh, <laughs> which is how long it would take to get this back under control again. But everybody is just so concerned about themselves and their freedoms for America that they, um, they just sort of ruin it for the rest of us. And just you're just prolonging everyone having to stay at home. I mean, you know? I don't get it. You know, I'm preaching to the choir. I, I, don't, I mean, no, I, it's, it's, it's true. <laughs> and it's, uh, but, but because this is the good news block, I'm healthy. You're healthy. Hopefully everyone listening is healthy. My dog is healthy. My wife is healthy. And, um, we're going to get you a blackout my dog is adorable, and uh, after adorable. the frozen margarita I made Joel last night, we were discussing the fact that we're really excited to get you a margarita machine. I'm very excited about that prospect myself, <laughs> uh, so thank you. And we do need to, you know, yeah, we, we, <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to, to have some frozen margaritas at some point, um, mm-hmm. you know, at home and, and isolated, but but yet together. We'll, we'll Zoom it. We'll have a margarita Zoomy party. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, it's been so nice to have, speaking of which, it's been so nice to see hang out with everyone at the, on the patron live streams on Friday. So if you joined us last week, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I've been hanging out on those for the last few months. And you can catch the next one on Friday. Uh, and that includes everybody who, uh, anybody else who gets processed as a, as a sponsored patron this week, we'll get the link to it as well. Yep. Awesome. And uh, that's it for today. Do you have any uh, final thoughts? What is it? The seventies you said? Seventies is the theme this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. To... I don't know. If it's... Polyester and heat don't mix, but you know, we'll see what we can find. I want to see some pictures of everybody in the seventies um, on the hashtag on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and stuff. Uh, hashtag Daily Beans Happy Hour. I want to see people's pictures of them. And this, if you were alive in the seventies, I was not, but some of you were. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, everybody, we will uh, be back tomorrow. So until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. Been Amanda Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reader. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reader. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.